Uh, last week, we started a, a series entitled The Glory of Easter. And, and we begin to talk about how that the word glory basically means full expression. It means full expression. And we talked about last week the glory of surrender. The full expression of surrender. What it really means to surrender to God. And we looked at the fact that without the garden, there would be no cross. You say, what do you mean? What I'm saying is, is that when Jesus was in the garden and he began to pray, he said, Father, I wish that you would take this cup from me. I wish that you would let it pass from me. And in our lives, there's times that we go through those situations and it seems so hard and we feel so much pressure that we cry out to God, God, take it away from me. God, remove me out of this situation. We never get to the point of full surrender. But what I challenged you last week to do was that when you get to that point, or when you feel so pressured, so overwhelmed, and you pray the prayer, God, remove this from me, you take the next step. You say, well, what was the next step? The next step was how Jesus finished that prayer. The next step was when Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. And that is what full surrender, the full expression of surrender actually looks like. It's when you can get to the point that says, I don't like the situation that I'm in. I feel like that it's about to, to kill me or to destroy me. Nevertheless, God, not my will, but yours be done. So this morning, we want to look at another full expression, another thing that is glorious, and that is the glory of salvation. And to do that, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 21, because in Matthew chapter 21, today is uh, Palm Sunday. This is the day that Jesus rode in on a donkey. And so this morning, we're going to look at the week leading up to His crucifixion. And we want to look at the full expression of God that was represented in His Son. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, "...who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power..." When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. It says that he was the brightness of glory and the express image of God. Who is God? He is the, the, the fullness. Who is Jesus? He was the fullness of God. And this morning, I want to declare to you that we have a glorious salvation. You see, what happens is, is, is when we become saved and we begin to walk with God, we become a follower of Christ. And we've done that for a long time. We start to take for granted the fact of the price that was paid. We begin to, to forget that He hung on a cross. 
And the sad reality is, is that many times the only time that we ever think about the price that was paid is around Easter. We pull out the, the, the Passion of the Christ movie or, or we hear sermons preached about it. But, but I want to tell you this morning that we have a glorious salvation. I want us to understand that it is, we shouldn't just be thankful for it one out of 52 weeks. He tells us in Hebrews chapter 2 to not neglect this great salvation. You see, on Palm Sunday, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Now, most kings rode in on horses with their slaves chained to them. Jesus didn't come that way. Jesus came representing peace. Jesus came riding on a, a donkey. And in Matthew chapter 21, verse 9, He says, then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now if you look back at what Hosanna actually means, it actually means save us and save us now. They were crying out to Jesus, save us. But the kind of saving that they wanted was not on the inside. They weren't looking for someone to pardon their sins. They were looking for someone that would take care of the externals. They were looking for someone who would rescue them. But Jesus came to pardon their sins. And so the first thing I want you to know is is salvation is simply pardon our sins. You say, well, show it to me. Well, in Micah chapter 7, verse 18, it says, Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. Romans chapter 4, verse 25 says this, He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. And in Luke chapter 7, verse 47, It says, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven, little, loves little. Here the Bible tells us that salvation pardons our sins. Salvation gives us freedom from what separates us from God. You see, when we were born into sin, we are separated from God. But what this glorious salvation does is it gives us freedom from that sin that separates us from God. How many people are thankful for the freedom that your salvation gives you? The freedom of knowing that you can walk in the forgiveness of your sin. When you begin to look at the word pardon, you realize that that in the United States, the president has the power to pardon a crime. Someone that has been convicted of a crime. Someone that the, the legal system said, you are guilty. You're guilty of this crime. But the, the president has the power to walk in and in one moment say, you're not guilty anymore. Your transgression has been pardoned. Isn't it awesome to know 
that we serve a God, that we are guilty. The law says that we are guilty. We are guilty of the transgression. We are guilty of the crime. But we serve a God who has the power to say, and the grace to show us that when we simply ask, if someone wants pardon of sin, they write in. They make a request to the president. That's all it takes from God. You say, God, I don't deserve it, but please forgive me. And these verses say that he pardons our sin. He throws it into the, the sea of forgetfulness. He nails our sins to the cross. It's an amazing pardon that we do not deserve, but He gives to us His full expression of salvation. He gives it to us. Secondly, salvation brings peace. Peace. You see, as I said, these people who were crying Hosanna, they weren't looking to be saved from their sins. They wanted to be saved from the Romans. They wanted a Savior who would come in and overthrow things politically. They wanted a Savior who would help them economically. They wanted a Savior that would lead them into battle, that would lead them militarily. They were looking for a peace that took care of the externals. All the things that they saw with their eyes, they wanted a Savior to rescue them from that. And so many times in life, we are the same way. God, rescue me. Give me peace on the outside. But can I tell you that it's not until your sins are dealt with that you can walk in a peace that passes all understanding. You can have everything right on the external, but still be walking with no peace. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 19, verse 42, How I wish today that all of you, that you of all people would understand the way to peace. How I wish that you would understand the way to peace. The way to peace is not making sure that you have money in your bank account. The way to peace is not making sure that everyone thinks kindly of you. The way to peace is knowing that your sins are forgiven. I've known people who have it all together. If you look at them on the outside, they have the, the, the nicest cars, the nicest house. People, they're well thought of in the community. It looks as if they have it all together. But on the inside, they have no peace. You see people, and you've read about people all the time, who have, it seems like they have everything going in their life only to find out that they take their own life. Why is that? It's because they had no peace. They had no peace on the inside. They had no peace of knowing what was going to happen to them when they took their last breath. They had an, an unrest. But when you know that your sins are forgiven, when you know that no matter what the enemy brings against you, that you have grace and mercy, that's when you find true peace. When you can relax and rest in the glory of His salvation, you can have a peace that the world cannot understand. 
You can have people look at you and say, how are you so calm? How are, how are you able not just to, to, to be going crazy right now because I'm looking at your life and it seems like that everything is against you, but still you have a peace. How is that? It's because they have a peace on the inside. They have a peace that salvation, the forgiveness of their sins has brought them. Here Jesus was about to be the Passover lamb. As he was riding in to town on a donkey, he was about to be the last lamb necessary. The last lamb that would ever be sacrificed for our sin. John the Baptist has said some three years earlier, Behold the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So here Jesus is riding in, about to be that sacrifice. They weren't satisfied. They wanted something different. But can I tell you that salvation will give us what we most need. Salvation gives us what we most need. What is it that we need most? We need forgiveness of our sins. We need a peace on the inside with God. You find people who, who walk away from God. I've known people that they're walking with God and everything seems great. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, they go crazy. You say, how does that happen? How does that happen? Well, guess what? In this passage of Scripture, we see people who went from crying Hosanna Save us. Save us now. And in a matter of days, they were screaming, crucify him. How do you get to that point? How did these people get to that point? Watching this man ride into town, saying, rescue us, save us, and then in a mere five days, crucify him. Why is it? It was because that they were disappointed in the way that he wanted to bring salvation. They were disappointed. Jesus didn't come and wasn't doing what they wanted him to do. He wasn't answering their prayer in the way and their scream and their shout and their cry in the way that they wanted him to. They were disappointed in him. Jesus, you aren't saving us the right way. You're not answering my prayer, my cry for help, the way that I think it needs to be answered. Completely disregarding that he knew what they needed most. Jesus, you're not saving us the right way. We don't want you. And so if you know the story, at that time, Pilate offered to the mob, to the crowd, he said, you can have Jesus... I'll release Jesus or I'll release Barabbas. Who was Barabbas? Barabbas was a prisoner whose name meant son of the father. Son of the father. Bar means son. Abba means father. 
So here they are, and they have this moment. They have to make a decision. And in Mark chapter 15, verse 11, it says, But at this point, the leading priest stirred up the crowd to demand the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. Why people walk away from God? Why people change their tune? It's because Jesus didn't come to save them like he came to, they wanted him to save. Barabbas, he had tried to save the people through insurrection. What is insurrection? Insurrection was basically he had caused an uprising. He had tried to overthrow the government. He had, and that's what the people wanted. That's what they were crying for. And so they had this moment. They had to make a decision. Are we going to settle for, are we going to choose Jesus, who was the true Son of the Father, or are we going to accept an imitation in Barabbas, Son of the Father? And the people said, give us Barabbas. You see, too often we put God in a box, and we want Him to answer our prayers the way that we think that he should answer our prayers. We want him to show up in our life, but we want him to show up the way that we want him to show up. We want him, but we want it our way. And that's what happened here. They had a choice. They had a choice. And in that moment of decision in your life, When you have to make a decision, God, am I going to trust you? And am I going to trust this glorious salvation, this full expression of, of God in my life? Am I going to accept that or am I going to accept an imitation? You see, many of us expect Christ to come in one way and he comes in another. And we're guilty of settling for a false substitute. We're guilty of crying out for something, choosing something that isn't real. Barabbas was not going to save these people. He was not going to save the Jewish nation. Not a chance. He was an imitation. But they fell for the imitation. They fell for an imitation of the Son of the Father instead of Jesus the true Son of the Father. Thirdly, salvation brings change. Salvation brings change. Uh, We read here in this passage of Scripture that Jesus comes to the temple. And He's a little upset. Anytime as Christians that we get mad at someone, we always want to go to this passage of Scripture, right? Well, Jesus did it. Jesus overturned the tables. Jesus drove them out. But he's upset because he comes to the temple and he sees that they have turned it into a place of commerce. They had taken the temple from its original intent and they had altered it. And in Matthew chapter 21 verse 12 through 14 it says, Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all of those who bought and sold in the temple. 
and overturned the tables of money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer. But you, you have made it a den of thieves. Verse 14, Then the blind and the lame came. They came to him in the temple, and he healed them. So here Jesus comes to the temple, and he sees that the temple, the intent for the temple had been altered. It had been changed. He said, this is supposed to be a place, a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. And he overturned the tables. He drove the money changers out. And then what happened in verse 14? It says, the blind and the lame came to the temple and he healed them. You see, God not only pardons our sins. God not only gives us peace with this salvation, but salvation also causes change in our life. You see, we were not intended or created to live in sin. That was not his original intent. But sin entered into the world and it altered it altered what God had intended for our lives, for this temple. And at that moment, when Christ comes, when Jesus comes onto the scene, He changes. He alters this temple. And He can turn it back into what His original intent was. You see, God is very jealous for what is His. God is jealous for what is His. You are His. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says this, For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. We are His masterpiece. He created us for good works. He foreordained us before you were born it says that when you were in your mother's womb, that God had a design and a plan for your life. He knew you then. But when we come into this world of sin, when we enter into this world of sin, that design for our life is altered. It alters our original design. I've known too many people that, that had, have had a call of God on their life. And I could look at them and, and I could know and I could say without any doubt, God has a plan for your life. But then sin creeps in. And it alters their course. And then the next thing that you know, they're nowhere to be found. Why is that? Because their temple was created for God. But sin has caused them and altered its original intent. But there's good news. Just as in this passage of Scripture, how the temple had been altered, no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how much sin has altered your life, you have the ability... Jesus has the ability to change your temple 
to change your life, to get it back to the original design that God intended. Can I tell you that your ladder can be greater than your former? I was talking with someone a couple of weeks ago, really in this same situation. And we were talking about the call of God on their life. And, and, and I told them this. I said, I believe with everything that's in me, not just because I say it, but because the Bible declares it, that your best is yet to come. And they looked back at me with tears in their eyes. And said, do you really believe that? And my answer to them was 110%. Not just because I believe it, because God declares it. And so if you're here this morning and, and you feel as if that you could never get back to the point where you once were. Some of you were walking with God. Some of you were, were doing ministry and you were seeing lives change and you were, you were doing everything that you could, but something happened. And the enemy wants you to believe that that original intent that God, that original design that God had for your life could never happen. But I want you to know that it can. Just as Jesus walked into the temple, the temple that had been altered for its original design, he can do the same thing in your life. You just have to let God flip the tables. Let him drive out those things that do not need to be there. Salvation produces change. Next, salvation produces fruit. It produces fruit. When you get God on the inside of you, it'll change you, and then you'll begin to see fruit. You're not the person that you used to be. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 18 and 19, Jesus saw a fig tree. Jesus is hungry. And in a distance, he sees a fig tree. It says, now in the morning as he returned to the city, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves. And he said to it, let no fruit grow on you ever again. And immediately the fig tree withered away. I wish I had that power with some of the things that grow in my yard. I wish I had the kind of power that says, just die. You have things that just spring up all over the place and it's just like, and you spray the roundup on it out here in the parking lot. You know, there's cracks and stuff begins to grow. And, and I, if we have somebody, anybody that's got this power, just walk out there and curse it, just like Jesus did. But here Jesus was hungry and, and he sees this tree. And if you know anything about a fig tree, the leaf and, and the fruit is, are usually the same color. So from a distance, he couldn't see that there was no fruit. He was hungry. He was looking for something to eat. And so he walks over to the tree, and as he gets closer, he realizes there's no fruit on this tree. That can be a picture of our lives. You see, the, the, the world is hungry. The world is hungry, and they're looking at it from a distance. And they see our lives, and they think, well, maybe they're different. You ever had somebody that, that you thought that, that you could be good friends with and then you spend like 20 minutes with them and you think, oh, no, okay, never mind. We've all been there. But then there's those people that you, you look at and you say, I need to get to know this person. 
And when you get close to them, when you really can see into their lives and you can see that there's fruit there, why were you attracted to them? Because you were, you were hungry. You were looking for something. And the world's looking at us for something. And our desire and what salvation should bring to us is it should produce fruit that not only when people look at us from afar, but when they come into this place. They can drive by and see that there's cars in the parking lot and, and, and that the place seems like it's filling up. But maybe when they get close, when they actually come in on a Sunday, they don't see any fruit. They go stand in the corner by themselves while we eat powdered donuts. The world wants to see fruit, and that's what salvation will produce. He begins to work on the inside of us. And our salvation gives us evidence of the Holy Spirit in us. Salvation gives me evidence of the Holy Spirit in me. John chapter 15 verse 5 says this. Yes, I am the vine. and You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. That moment that Christ walks into your life. When you allow him into your heart. Into this temple. You become part of the vine. You become the branches. What are the branches? It's, it, they extend out from the vine. That's who we are. And that salvation, when we're living in Him, when we're following after Him, when we're walking after Him, the world's going to see fruit. They're not going to come to us and as Jesus was in this passage of scripture they're not going to come to us hungry and realize that we have no fruit and then curse us and walk away hungry our salvation should produce fruit lastly salvation provokes a response salvation provokes a response just a few days a few days before Jesus would die, there was a woman that came and poured oil on his feet. John chapter 12 verse 3 tells us this story. It says, Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. Now, if we read on in that passage of Scripture, we realize that Judas was not happy that she was wasting this expensive perfume. He was not happy that this expensive perfume was being poured out on the feet of Jesus. But why did she do it? Why was she not just a watcher like Judas was, why was she a worshiper? Why did they judge her? Why did they say that the poor is more important than Jesus? Because you and I know that there's nothing more important than our Lord and Savior. There's nothing more important than this salvation that He gives us freely. Why was she a worshiper? 
because this woman had a rough past. If you read the Bible and read other accounts of Mary, she had a rough past. But this great salvation, she understood what she had received. He would forgave her. He had changed her life. So what did she do? She worshipped him. That's why when we get up here and, and sing, we don't call it, everybody come and let's sing. We don't call it singing. What do we call it? We call it worship. If you enter through those doors and you think, okay, the first 20 minutes is going to be singing, you've got the wrong thought in mind. You need to go back and realize what Christ has done in your life. Now, to someone who has never walked into that, someone who doesn't understand just as Judas, then they might call it singing. That's perfectly okay because they have never crossed over to salvation. But once you have that salvation, it should provoke a response in your life. And when they get up here and sing, it shouldn't matter who's around you. It shouldn't matter what you think people might think. Judas, he didn't understand what was going on. He didn't realize, he didn't know why this worship was going forward because he he didn't experience it. He was about to betray Jesus. He didn't understand but she worshipped him, not caring about the consequences. The salvation provoked a response. So when we cry, there are moments that, that I can do nothing but cry. Last Sunday morning, as I watched people come and kneel at this altar and step over into this glorious salvation, I could do nothing but stand back there and cry. And in my mind, I thought, you big baby. But I could do nothing but cry. And I thought, you know what? I don't care. I don't care what people think. Because this salvation. You think that Mary, Judas, he said, you know how much this money, how much this perfume is worth? You think Mary didn't know that? Absolutely she knew it. She knew how much it was worth. She didn't care. It didn't matter to her. Because she had been given a great salvation and she wanted to have a response. We have to get to the point that we say, God, you have done something for us that no one else can do. That's the point Mary was at. You have done something for us. You have saved us in a way that no one else can save us. We have to realize that when we look at people, people need to see, people need to know the difference that Christ has made in our lives. Will they always listen? Will they always understand? No. But that didn't stop Mary. She said, this salvation... I'm going to worship. This salvation has provoked me to respond.
when we see people, we need to realize that eternity is in the balance. And the question that I want to ask you this morning is, do you have peace with God? Do you have peace with God? Have you been looking to God to give you peace and to make everything just be real nice in your life? Salvation knows what you need the most. Christ knows what you need the most. It's not for everything to be fixed on the outside. But it's to allow Him to come into your heart. To pardon you for your sin. To allow Him to bring change. There's some of you here today that you would give anything for your life to change. There's some of you here that life seems so unfair. It seems as if things will never get any better. You want change. And as I said last week, and what keeps coming to my mind over and over is, if you want something to change, then change something. What is that? Allow salvation to bring change. You can't do it without Him. I can't do it without Him. That verse said that I am the vine, you are the branches, but apart from me you can do nothing. You can't save yourself. You might be here this morning and say, Pastor, I'm not where I need to be. Maybe you just took a wrong turn somewhere. Maybe God didn't answer your prayer the way that you wanted Him to. And because of that, you accepted an imitation. You accepted Barabbas. And you realize really quick that Barabbas wasn't going to fix your situation. That imitation, son of the father, that imposter, that thing that the enemy wanted you to believe would fix it, didn't fix it. It's not too late to realize who the true son of the father is. With every head bowed and every eye closed. You find one thing, you'll let me, I will tell you that I'm very open and transparent. And there are some Sundays that when I get up to speak, things just flow very easy. There are weeks that when I'm preparing for a message that things just, and and I just feel like this week has not been one of those. This week has been spiritual warfare. As I was laying in bed last night, I, I, I just to be honest, I was frustrated. And I laid there. It was after midnight. 
at midnight, I got on Facebook and into one of our leadership groups. I said, I don't know who's up. But if you're up, take time and pray for tomorrow's service. Why? Because I understand that as things begin to happen and as lives begin to be changed, the enemy's not going to lay down. Spiritual warfare is just beginning. But God loves you enough that you're sitting here this morning and you may, you may show up here every 